This is the Todd and Friends Podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we'd agree on something here. From the KWLM Sports Studio. With thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Here's Todd Bergaff. Thanks for joining us for the podcast uh, once again today. Joining us uh, via the telephone as he gets set to take off for Toronto in a little while here today as we're speaking. Alan Horton, the voice of the Timberwolves. And uh, opening night, always exciting, Alan, for the Timberwolves tomorrow night. An undefeated preseason, uh, players under contract getting their extensions done. Should be, ha- <laughs> should be happy campers headed up to Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, everything's pointing in the right direction, right? Like a really good preseason, not just with that record, but the way they played. The yeah. team looks uh, looks like they don't have a lot of drama, a lot of issues heading into the season. They look deep. They look balanced. A um, couple of new additions in Shake Milton and Troy Brown Jr. fit in seamlessly. Um, you mentioned the extension for Jaden McDaniels. He's still not 100%, not practicing with the team. So uh, we haven't gotten an update on his status for tomorrow night, but likely not playing. But Okay. You know, I, I think he's close to playing, so this is that's really good. Um, and they're and they're really they're they're just being precautious over these last three weeks. So likely no Jaden, but you know, as far as guys go, um, Jaden can fit in rather seamlessly. He's not a huge focal point offensively, defensively. You certainly miss him, uh, but hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. Yeah, no doubt. And and uh, McDaniel says the guy, uh, you know, he was a late first round draft pick. Did did you see this type of potential in McDaniel's to become, you know, oh, gosh, uh, all he certainly could at some point be all NBA first team defensive player. Uh, you know, I love the length right away. I guess I didn't see him yeah. becoming the player he has. No, and it's it's difficult to pinpoint. It's a good question. I don't. I'd have to go back and kind of think about it. You know, three years in. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think probably his second year, maybe toward the end of his first, you kind of, you know, you you saw. You're always intrigued by someone's physical stature when they come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of guys in the NBA that come in with, uh, um, you know, a promising upside, right? Like they've got a great body, they've got length, they've got strength, they've got different attributes that you point to and you kind of say oh I, I could see this developing into something but then when you take the floor that's when you kind of know can they fit in can they figure it out um can they can they win the physical battle and the mental battle too figuring out what your coach wants where you need to be all those little things that i think people kind of take for granted that uh that are that are that shouldn't be because there have been some amazing talented people to play basketball that can't make it in the nba because they can't figure things out yeah. Um, yeah. Just you know, I, I think of a guy like Rashad McCants, whose whose athleticism was through the roof here yeah. with the Timberwolves, but could never figure it out. And he just, um, you know, that's what what happens when you have that is that you end up out of the league, or at least out of the NBA. Maybe you're playing overseas somewhere. But um, there there are plenty of stories of guys that have intriguing talent and different attributes that you could see developing into something, but they don't for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Now you referenced, you know, uh, the preseason and how not only did they win, which, you know, uh, I, when, how, do wins really matter in the preseason? Our talent depends on who played or not. But you liked how they played. What did you see that you said, man, this looks like we're going to take off to, and get off to a good fast start? Well, it started in Abu Dhabi when they took on Dallas and just, just beat them soundly in two mm-hmm. games. The Timberwolves looked like the more cohesive uh, group. They looked like they had continuity from last season. They just kind of all played on the same page. The ball was zipping around. Everybody knew their plays. Everybody knew where to be. And I think that's a direct result of having nine of your top ten guys back from the end of last season. It showed up in the preseason, and I think that gave them, um, 
you know, gave them a, a, a step in the right direction as far as beating their opponents that night. Um, and Chris Finch just doesn't like to lose preseason games either. I mean, he's, he's gone through three preseasons. He's 12-2, and two, and the only two losses were after the Wolves uh, made cross-country chips, literally from East Coast to West Coast or West Coast to East Coast, and then lost the Brooklyn Nets both times in two years. Uh-huh. So all, his only two losses can be really chalked up to just crazy travel experiences in the preseason. So um, he, he has taken the preseason seriously. You, know, you'll, you only get usually four of these games. Wolves played five this year. Yeah. If you throw in the game against Maccabi, in which you know the top two units didn't play right, essentially, right. Um, he's um, you know he, if you're going to play these things, you might as well win them, and you might as well take it seriously. You don't have a lot of time to ramp up to the regular season, and so you know it, it, it doesn't mean he's putting his starters back in the fourth quarter. No, you're deep into your bench at that point. But um, usually the Timberwolves have, have played well as a solid unit, worked in their second group. Um, and then they turn it over to the end of their bench at the end of the game, like most teams do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they find themselves usually with the lead at that point. And so uh, he's he's twelve and two. It's one of the uh, it's got to be one of the best preseason records of all time, <laughs> no doubt uh, for for what that's worth. But uh, we'll take wins over right. losses, whether they count on the record uh, or not. Uh, second year now with Rudy Gobert and the uh, uh, grand experiment of going big when most teams are going small. It'll be fun to see uh, the guys healthy and playing together from the start of the year, even though McDaniels is going to get a little bit late starting the season, because they they hardly had that last year. It just was such a disjointed season. Uh, you know, as you chronicled with us last week, the cat being sick and then his injury, they never really got it together. So this year we'll get a lot better idea whether or not this huge uh, gamble that they took by acquiring Robert is going to work out or not. Yeah, that that is true, and I would say that uh, it's it, it also feels like it's not as big as an issue as it was last year. That mm. sort of was the talking point, right? That mm-hmm. Rudy trade had been made earlier in the off season, and then you got to the regular season. How are these two going to fit? How's the starting five going to fit together? What's the rotation going to look like amongst your bigs? You've got Nas Reed, who you just locked up. How are you going to fit all these big guys together? And it's funny, Todd. It's just it's just. Everything's been so workmanlike at, at training camp this year that it doesn't even seem like that's an issue anymore. It's sort of like an old story, right? It's been mm-hmm. it's been 12 months, it's been 16 months, whatever it's been since the Rudy acquisition. Now it just kind of is what it is, and I I really think um, I really think this team is poised for some good things this year. Yeah. I thought this last year, and I may have been jumped the gun a little bit in hoping that things would kind of come together um, a little quicker than they did. I think looking back on it now. Um, I underestimated how much of an impact uh, or how long it would take for Rudy to become acclimated to this team and for the team to become acclimated to Rudy. Mm. Um, you know, him in a new environment for the first time in his NBA career after after nine years in, in Utah and doing things a certain way. Um, it really was an adjustment, and it was an adjustment to play with him. Um, and, and then, it, like like you mentioned, um, you know, the training camp just got off an awful start. Those guys had, like, two practices together. They played one preseason game together. Um, and then it was kind of a work in progress in the before Cat got hurt. It got better at the end of the season when those two came back on, uh, when Cat came back. And, and, and at that point, it was just like, look, we need our best players to play. Yeah. Best players are just going to play, and, and you figure it out. Um, I, think, I think in the regular season, you know, talent normally wins out. So you want your most talented player out there. And one thing that Rudy Gobert trade did was increase the talent level on this team. Yes, um, They're not going to rely as much on Rudy. Last year... Um, I think they kind of felt like, hey, we can we can funnel everything towards Rudy, and he'll do the rest. He's going to deter shots in the paint. He'll block shots. He'll protect the rim. Uh, but Rudy was, like we said, he, he wasn't himself. By his own admission, he did not put up the kind of numbers that he's used to dominating 
on the defensive end of the floor. He did not look like a three-time defensive player of the year. Still really good, but not up to his standards. And so I think this year uh, they're not going to rely, have to rely on Rudy as much because that's not a great strategy anyway because guess what? Rudy's going to be off the floor for, you know, whatever, 18 minutes a game, something like that. Um, and, and you don't want to be funneling things in toward whoever's backing up Nas, whether it's Cat or Nas Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not the strength of their game. So I think, they're, I think they've got a much better approach this year um, with Rudy Gobert, and I think, um, you know, all signs point in a positive direction, I, I think, heading into the year. He's an interesting guy, isn't he, Gobert? Have you had a chance to be around him at all? I mean, he took the Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat for, for four days and, and all that. He seems like kind of a, a complex guy. Have you gotten to know him at all? Yeah, he's mm-hmm. been really interesting. I've done a couple of events with him, got a chance mm-hmm. to interview him a couple of times. and You know, he's, he's always very present. He's in the moment. Um, he's very thoughtful mm-hmm. with his um, um, with his answers, and I and, and he's and, he, and, and as you can, you mentioned the darkness retreat, mm-hmm. um, he's spiritual too. He, mm-hmm. he talks about journeys and and putting in the work and and you know kind of broad. I don't know what broader subjects is the right word, but kind of bigger picture things. Right? It's not it's not having to get a win in Toronto. It's the journey through the entire eighty two game season, um, and and a real believer in putting in the work and coming together as a group. And that can produce positive results. Um, so he's a re- he's a really interesting guy, and we've seen him give back so much too. Um, you know, I-, I can recall when we signed him, and then I think it was after a preseason game. I don't, I can't remember what the event was at Target Center, but you know, in the Skyway, it was just lined with people, and he stopped and took photos and shook hands and signed autographs for like thirty to forty-five minutes uh, right. as he walked back towards Mayo Clinic Square, and uh, everyone was just couldn't have been more excited, and he's. He's in that moment. He's never rushed when when you're talking to him or when you're when he's doing an event. He's very much in the moment. So he's a, a very interesting guy. Um, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed being around him. You referenced that they're going to use him maybe a little bit differently defensively. It seemed like they tried to feed him the ball offensively last year too. Not necessarily his strength operating with the ball. Do you think they'll kind of uh, adjust how they uh, use him on the offensive end of the floor as well? I think they still want to use it. I think they want to use him even more. I think mm. it takes time to realize that, um, in, you know, to the, the phrase that always came over when he came over from Utah was, well, you got to keep Rudy happy at the offensive end. To get the most out of him defensively, you got to give him touches at the offensive end. Mm-hmm. And I think even that kind of mentality has shifted this year to where, look, we're just going to win games and we're going to do what it takes to win games. And there was a game um, against the New York Knicks in the preseason. Rudy had one shot. One shot attempt, he went one for one. He did get to the free throw line a couple of times. But, you know, he did a lot of the dirty work that didn't go noticed in the box score. You look at it, you say, oh, Rudy was, you know, not that impactful. He only had one shot at the at least his offensive end. Um, but there are going to be some games like that, I think, where he has, you know, under five shots a game. And then there are going to be some times where he gets 10-plus uh, attempts per game. I think the team, you know, it's interesting. You, you would think an alley-oop would be one of the more simple plays to run, right? Like, I could toss it up to Utah. You're a high flyer. I just got to lob it up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really an intricate kind of play, right? Like the pass, we, we've seen Anthony Edwards struggle to to lob it correctly or cat sometimes not be on target with those passes on the alley-oop. It's not an easy play. Um, and I don't think Rudy gets enough credit for being as athletic as he is in the air. 
he's unbelievable once he leaves his feet. Mm-hmm. Um, some We saw the pass that Anthony Edwards threw to him on an alley-oop in Chicago in the preseason. Mm-hmm. That really was not a great pass. It was way offline, but, but because Rudy's got this seven-foot-five wingspan, he reaches out, grabs it, and then is able to dunk it. He's unbelievable in the air. Mm-hmm. So he had 61 alley-oops last year. I think that number is going to increase this year. Um, it's a part of the Wolves game that they've never really had. They had 64 alley-oops last year. 61 of them went to Rudy. Uh, in the previous five years combined, they had 70. Mm-hmm. So that gives you an idea of how, how under the rim the Wolves have been playing. They've never really had that lob threat or tried to use it. Wow. Even though they have players like Cat and Ant who you think you could lob to uh, you know, multiple times, but just didn't happen for whatever reason. So I think they're going to start to look for Rudy more. He, he's so big inside, Todd, that as soon as he seals off a defender – Sometimes you just have to fire that pass in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though you just fire it in there because that will force the officials to blow the whistle. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Get Rudy the free throw line. That picks up a foul on his defender. It adds a team foul uh, in the quarter to the, to the opposing team. Those are all good things. And even though Rudy uh, struggled at the free throw line under 65% last year, that's still, that's still a good play. That's over a point per possession. So probably 1.25 points per possession. That's, that's a good outcome. So, I think I think that's one thing Chris Finch and the coaching staff has been hammering that even um, as soon as he seals off a man, you got to look for it, and that 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 is the process that I think took a little while is that they had to to start looking for it. You know, you just end up sometimes you just end up running your play and you don't even look inside. Well, you've got to look when you've got Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Why? What do you think is a reasonable expectation for the place that the Timberwolves should should find themselves at the end of the season in the Western Conference? Is a top four seed uh, potential for the Timberwolves? Yeah, I think the high end is a top four seed. It's fifty wins, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's certainly winning a first round series. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe going even further. Um, that's kind of the high end that I think. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't you know the West is always I. I when people say, oh, the West is tough this year, the West is always tough. Yeah. It's always competitive. And, and they're always, you know, usually there are a couple of teams that jump out and get you, you know, their 55-win pace or 60 wins. Um, you know, Memphis did it a few years ago. Phoenix did it a few years ago. Golden State has done it. Denver was up there for, for the whole season. Uh, but I, I really think it's kind of going to be like last year where it was more compact. There wasn't, there wasn't two or three teams that just ran away with the West um, you know, and I just think I just think there's this. It is so deep. I mean, Reggie Miller didn't. Not that I get most of my NBA knowledge from Reggie Miller. Uh, he didn't even have the Wolves in his top twelve. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure, or top eleven. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to be that far down. But it just goes to show that there's there's incredible competitive balance in 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 the West. I, I think you can make a case for like ten, eleven, t- twelve teams. Mm-hmm. No doubt, uh, and but the East seems to have gotten deeper at the same time as well. It's just a lot of talent in the league right now. It really is kind of a golden age for the NBA. There's so many good players uh, that are playing today that at some point uh, will be considered, uh, you know, for the Hall of Fame. Do you think the Nuggets are still the top team in the West, uh, and that would be the Wolves' biggest competition? Or I mean, I guess. I guess so. Um, yeah. I, I think the loss of uh, Bruce Brown is going to be big for them, uh, yeah. but you still got Nikola Jokic. He's probably going to win his third MVP in the last four years. Um, so I guess by default you kind of have to leave them at the top. But, you know, the second year after winning a title uh, and you rely heavily on, on Jokic and Murray, um, it'll be interesting to see if they kind of keep their foot on the gas all season or they kind of do what they did at the end of last year when they kind of had things locked up and they, they basically took the last month of the season off. I think they had a losing record 
but of course, at that point, you, you already had enough wins to, to occupy the number one seed. So you get to do that when you have that kind of a season. But yeah, I guess you got to put them up there and you put the Lakers up there. Um, you know, but it's so funny. You can project all you want, but really it comes down to, hey, just, just start winning games. Just accumulate wins. Um, you don't have to go beat. You don't have to sweep Denver during the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't only you only split against them um, like they did last year. And you, you know, you, you win against Toronto, then you face Miami. You just have to accumulate wins, and and and, and then at the end of the season, you kind of just worry about where those what that total is when you stack it all up against everybody else. Toronto won the championship a few years back when Ka- Kawhi Leonard spent his uh, one season there. They're still a representative team with Pascal Siakam uh, still leading the way. What do the Wolves have to do to beat them uh, in the season opener tomorrow? Well, it's interesting. They've never opened up the season in Toronto, mm-hmm. and maybe this is a, a, a nice change in that sense because they've lost 18 straight north of the border. Mm-hmm. They've lost 18 in a row in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, they did beat the Raptors the one season they played in Tampa. Um, during the pandemic, and so that uh, you know, into but in Toronto, they haven't won since '04. So wow. um, I think they're poised for big things. Yeah, they're probably going to miss Jaden McDaniel's defense. Um, it's always been a nightmare going up there. They've only won four times in their franchise history in that building. So mm. it's um, it's going to be a daunting task. But I, you know, if you're ever going to snap that string, I think this is the year to do it. They've got a new coach in Darko Rayakovich, um, who comes over from Memphis. Um, they, you know, the, 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 Toronto is one of these teams that's kind of stuck in the middle. They didn't re-sign Fred VanVleet. Yeah. He goes off to Houston, so they lose their point guard who averaged twenty plus points a game and you know upwards of seven eight assists a game. Um, they bring in Dennis Schroeder, who yes had a good year with LA last year, played well for the German national team. But I, I don't know. I don't know where this team is headed. They, they're not a good shooting team. They don't defend shots well. They do a lot of the other things well. They don't turn it over. They big offensive rebounding team. But I don't know how much different, you know, when you're when you're stuck in the middle, you know, middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference, it's and you're locked into certain deals you, with players. You, you're kind of forced to just kind of roll with it. We saw that against the Chicago Bulls in the preseason. They kind of just had to double down and, and re-sign Nick Vucevic and Zach Levine and Demar Derozan. Those are their big three. They kind of have to just keep going forward because there's not a lot of options moving off of those guys. Um, and I think Toronto's in the same way. So they just replaced their head coach. Nick Nurse is now in Philadelphia. You bring in Ryakovich, and, and, and maybe there's a new mentality, and maybe there's a new way to play. But that team was kind of a disaster at the end of last season. They had, they had a really good point differential, but they finished up five wins less than they should have, uh, which would have made a huge difference. They would have made the postseason have been the sixth seed had they played up to their numbers that they put up. But uh, a lot of individual play, and uh, you know who knows where – who knows where a guy like Pascal Siakamo, I think, is in the last year of his deal and how much that factors into, you know, is he on the move at some point this season or they lock him in? Is he sort of their centerpiece going forward? A lot of questions for Toronto. Alan, thanks so much. Uh, good luck up in Toronto tomorrow night, and uh, we'll be tuned in. Thanks, Todd. Alan Horton, voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. On the Todd and Friends podcast, it's brought to you by Heritage Bank. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM, 1340 AM and 96.3 FM.